Half the battle is back. It's me, Daniel Levy, your host. We're going to be talking UFC Melbourne, Robert Whitaker versus Derek Brunson. It's going down this Saturday night on Fox Sports 1. First up in the bantamweight division, we got Ning Wang Yu. He's minus 130. The comeback on Marlon Chito Vera is plus 110. This fight's been a long time in the making. They've been scheduled to fight on two other occasions, but uh, Ning Wang Yu actually popped for uh, Clan Buterol. And he blamed it on contaminated meat. Apparently it's legit. Don't ask me. But that's uh, that's what the word on the street is. But now they're going to finally meet Australia. And look, you know, if you watched Marlon Chito Vera's last fight and you think that that's the guy that's going to show up here, I can understand why you're picking Ning Guang Yu. I mean, Guang Yu, he's a short, stocky, very strong guy for the weight class. I mean, he tries to take people down to the ground. He tries to bully you. He tries to rush you. He throws big hooks. I mean, he's your uh, prototypical short, stocky brawler. And with Marlon Chito Vera, he hasn't had the consistency that he needs, but he's shown flashes here and there that, you know, he can finish people off his back with triangle chokes. He can throw the flying knees. He can throw the flashy kicks. But what he did recently was, you know, so he was training at this gym in Ecuador, 50-50, and, uh, you know, he got a, a performance of the night bonus in his fight against Roman Salazar. So he thought, oh, I should just keep training here. And then in that fight with Davy Grant, it proved that, look, man, you got to move to the States. That's where the best training is. So ever since that fight, that fight against Davy Grant was back in February. He's been uh, putting in work in California. You know, I, think, I believe he's living with Ian McCall, and he's been doing all the right things because, look, this guy, he isn't just fighting for himself. I mean, he's got a family. He's only 23 years old. He's got two children, a wife, and uh, his daughter has some kind of syndrome where she can't smile. So he's literally fighting to put a smile on his daughter's face. And I think you can expect the most motivated Marlon Chita Vera that there's ever been. I mean, he, he possesses the intangibles in this fight. Just the fact that we haven't seen him since February. He changed everything. So I'm expecting a completely different Cheeto. I think he's going to finally put it all together. And I think he's going to be able to use his uh, youthful athleticism and get uh, Guang Yu out of there. You know, Cheeto's actually got a six-inch reach advantage in this spot. You know, it's all about not getting, uh, you know, bullied, not getting manhandled in this fight. Now, in Cheeto's last fight, so it started off, he was doing pretty well, and then he dropped for a heel hook against Davy Grant, and out of nowhere, you know, it was against Davy, who was from the UK, and it, the fight was in the UK, and the ref was from the UK as well, and Mark Goddard stops the fight as, uh, as Cheeto Vera goes for the heel hook, and Davy Grant was actually grabbing the fence, and the ref starts shouting at Cheeto Vera as if he was doing something wrong, and then he tries to restart them from that position, so he literally took Cheeto out of the fight mentally. I mean, watching it as a fan, I was like, you know, the best referees, you don't notice them in there. And I felt like Mark Goddard had way too much presence in that fight. And it basically, you know, he was shouting at Cheeto the entire fight. I just, uh, thank God he's going to have an even playing field in this one, man. And uh, I think he's going to get that long-needed victory. So I don't blame anyone for taking the shot. Plus 110, you know, I'd like a better price. So I'm, I'm going to wait it out, man. But my pick is Marlon Chito Vera. And I spoke to Ian McCall, and uh, here's here's what he had to say about the improvements that Cheeto Vera's made to his game. Cheeto has uh, has really turned his whole game around. I mean, he's, it's, it's not that he's ever sucked or anything, but uh, you know, he was just a wild, like a wild animal when we first got him. You take mine, and I'll take it. And he 
he's refined. We we have refi- helped refine his game. His kickboxing, his jiu-jitsu, his wrestling, uh, so much that uh, he's a he's a, a very 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 different fighter now. It's, it's exciting to see. You know, I'm stoked to call him a friend and a teammate. Yeah, he's a stud. I mean, he he, he dropped me a while back with a with a body kick. I mean, that says a lot. He, he's a stud, man. He's a, he's a really good fighter, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see him perform. Now, next up, we got Dan Hangman Hooker. He's minus 160. The comeback on Jason the Kid Knight is plus 140. Now, a lot of people think that Jason Knight is just a rubber guard guy because that's some of the things he's shown in the past. You know, the fight with uh, Kawajiri. He attempted the rubber guard there to get some submissions, but he was unsuccessful. However, in his fight against Musa Kamanaev, who's a very dangerous Russian fighter, Jason Knight was able to go in there and submit a guy of that caliber. And then, obviously, his last fight, the fight of the night performance-winning effort against Jim Ehlers, man, Jason Knight looked like a completely different guy. Let me tell you what I mean. So you remember his fight with Kawajiri. He gets taken down. You know, he's going for the rubber guard. In this fight against Ehlers... You know, he was attempting to get back up to his feet right away. His striking looked crisper than it ever looked. I mean, we got to take into consideration, this kid's only 24 years old. So he's making massive improvements. Now that he got that performance of the bonus, the excuse me, that performance of the night bonus in his last fight, now he can afford to train full time. And also, he's been putting in some work at Phuket Top Team. My buddy James Vick has been putting in work there. And if, uh, those two have been training together. That's the perfect guy to get ready for Dan Hooker because Dan Hooker brings that tall man game. So what better guy to train with for a tall man than James Vick? So I think Jason Knight is addressing the proper areas in this fight. And with Dan Hooker, look, man, the guy is tough as nails in all his fights, win or lose. He comes to fight, man. But look, if you can take this guy to decision, he's 1-4 in in his career when fights go to decision. So he usually has to finish you to win the fight. Jason Knight's very durable. I don't think he's going to get finished here. So if Dan Hooker were to win this decision, that would be an anomaly according to, you know, the trend of uh, how his fights tend to go down. But man, Dan Hooker is no slouch at all, man. He's got that long man game like I mentioned. You know, he tries to keep it on the outside, but he's not afraid to get into a brawl to get hit to... To, to land his hits, man, and uh, obviously he's got a slick guillotine choke as you saw in his last fight, but really what he's known for is walking you down and uh, staying in your face for the duration of the fight. That's what he likes to do. Now, I heard an interview with Dan Hooker, and he said that, look, man, you know, people haven't seen the new Dan Hooker. You know, I'm not going to take as many punches anymore, and I'm going to be, uh, you know, I've gotten better, I'm more mature, I'm cleaner with my striking. I don't know if that's true. It might be true at first, but, you know, we'll see what happens when he gets cracked because for a lot of these guys, you know, as soon as they get hit with that one big punch, you know, people like to say the game plan goes out the window. But more importantly, you revert to your instincts. And I think that's what could happen with Dan Hooker. You know, he'll try to come out here playing it smart, but when Jason Knight's in his face and he's like, what's up, motherfucker? And he's throwing big three-punch combos at Dan Hooker's face, and we know the deal with the tall man defense. Dan Hooker is going to get hit. I think he'll go back into that brawler mode. Now, whether he wins from that point or not, I'm not sure. But at plus 140, I really do not blame anyone for taking the shot on Jason Knight. I mean, the kid's 17-2. and two. That means that this kid's a winner. You know, it's very tough to beat a guy like Jason Knight. And usually the guys that do beat him, the two men that have beat him, they beat him by taking him to the ground. Now, I do believe Dan Hooker is going to look to exploit that area of the game, but I don't think it's going to be as easy as people think. And, uh, Dude, I got to go with the upset here. I'm going to go with Jason Knight for the victory. I think he's going to cash as a plus 140 dog. 
Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got Gian Herrera. He's minus 135. The comeback on Ben 10 Wen is plus 115. When this fight was announced, I thought that for sure Ben Wen was going to be the favorite. So it's kind of interesting to see him here at plus 115. And I understand because in his last fight against Louis Smolka, he took a life-changing beating. Man, he took way too many punches. That fight should have been stopped way earlier. The reason it wasn't is because it was in his uh, home away from home. You know, Sioux Falls. Uh, I believe that's, uh, like I said, his home away from home, man. So they were going to let him get every possible chance to survive that fight. But with Gian Herrera, he's also coming off an ass whooping too to the hands of Ali Bagotinov. I don't think it was anywhere near as bad as the one that uh, Ben took against Louis Smolka because that was just, we were screaming at the TV during that one. But uh, Gian definitely, uh, he took that ass whooping against Ali Bagotinov. But I got to tell you what, man, in that third round, he tried to come back. Even in that fight against Ray Borg, he tried to come back in that third round. Gian Herrera has heart. I just feel like they've thrown this kid to the wolves. You know, he hasn't really had the time to develop. So this is one of those fights that we're really going to find out where both of these guys are. I, I feel like Gian Herrera is probably the stronger, more physical guy. He might have more of an upside. But Ben Wen, you know, people call him a prospect. In my opinion, he's a... You know, he's beyond that, man. He's a vet. I mean, he's had over 20 fights. So, you know, Ben Wen's the experienced guy here. Is he coming back too soon? That's the biggest question here. For that reason, I cannot make a bet on this fight. If Gian was the dog, I'd probably take a shot on him. And, man, Ben Wen as the dog is very, uh, it's tempting just in the sense that he is fighting in Australia again. And uh, maybe he could overwhelm Gene Herrera with his veteran experience because that's what people have been able to do when they beat a guy like Herrera. But I have to sit back. The fact that he took that ass whooping only a couple months ago, that's enough for me to just sit back and watch it as a fan. Now next up, we got Jonathan Minway. He's minus 140. The comeback on Richard Walsh is plus 120. Now, Jonathan Minway, you know, he's got that uh, that tri-star long man game. You know, we've been talking about the long man game a lot on this show, but... With Jonathan Minway, it's a little bit different. When I say the TriStar game, I mean that he's a little bit cleaner with it. You know, he doesn't take as many punches. He doesn't care about getting in there and getting dirty. He'd rather be pretty. He'd rather circle on the outside, you know, do a little hand fighting and, uh, you know, switch his stances and try to get that 30-27. You know, think about guys like Nordin Taleb. Think about guys like Rory McDonald. Think about guys like Tom Breeze. That's kind of what Jonathan Minway is trying to bring to the table in his style. You know, he's six foot three. He's very tall for the weight class. And with Richie Walsh, I mean, look, man, he's your uh, he's your Australian brawler here. You know what I'm saying? He's gonna try to get in your face, and uh, either he's gonna go down or Minway is gonna go down. That's the kind of fight Richie wants to get. You know, they call him filthy for a reason. He's gonna try to get in there and get dirty with it. But man, his chin has been tested more than once, and uh, man, you know he uh, he has been knocked out, dude. And I think that Minway, this is his chance to go in there and get that first UFC victory in Australia. You know, I know the crowd's going to be behind Richard Walsh, but look, man, not all of the Australians can win. I feel like this is a good spot for Jonathan to come through and get that W. So I'm going to go with Minway here. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got John Tuck. He's minus 150. The comeback on Damian Beatdown Brown is plus 130. And man, this one should be good. You know, with John Tuck, it's really hard to get a read of him. I know what he's capable of. I mean, obviously, Abu Dhabi Jiu-Jitsu and uh, on the feet. I mean, when he's on his game, he throws the flying knees. He can drop dudes such as Taehyun Bong, which uh, I don't believe anyone else in the UFC has dropped that guy. So on his best day, he's tough to deal with. And Damian Brown, man, I got to tell you what, this guy's come a long way, dude. Because look, if you watch some of his regional scene fights, you know, you're kind of... You're kinda, you might be a little bit underwhelmed, but man, I gotta say, he's made a statement in the UFC for my money because look, 
He comes in there on four days short notice against Alan Patrick. Now, I don't know if you guys recall Alan Patrick's last fight against Stevie Ray, but no one manhandles Stevie Ray like that. One does not simply manhandle Stevie Ray. And Alan Patrick manhandled him from pillar to post, round to round. He didn't manhandle Damian Brown. Damian Brown actually gave him some scares early in that fight, but, you know, he did gas because, you know, four days short notice against a beast like Patrick, who wouldn't gas in that spot? But, man, Damian performed admirably. Then he goes out in his next fight and knocks out the Bolivian Muay Thai champion. Uh, so, for my money, Damian Brown has been rather impressive in his two UFC appearances. This is the one that's going to tell me where he's really at, man, because, look, John Tuck, we mentioned how... He is a bit inconsistent, but on his best day, he's someone to be reckoned with. On his worst day, you know, he, he can't find his range. His timing's a little bit off. And, uh, you know, that fight with Josh Emmett, that wasn't the, the best John Tuck. So it's about which guy shows up. And you guys know I don't like using that, uh, you know, that, that line of thinking or reasoning for breaking down fights. But this is really one of those situations. And uh, here's what John Tuck had to say about this upcoming fight. How do you feel about fighting Damian Brown? Because, I mean, the good news is he's the kind of guy that's going to come in and give you a real fight. You know, he's not going to try to hump your leg. or He's going to try to fight you. So you're excited about fighting a respectable, experienced uh, opponent like that? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I'm, I'm always honored to step in the cage with anybody. And uh, I just want to show show what I'm about. You know, like the Taeyeon Bang fight, that was just a, a hint of what, I've, what I actually possess. Uh Josh Emmett was a great fighter, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, that was a pretty close fight, being the fact that I didn't uh, take off from the beginning, but this whole fight with Damian Brown is going to be even more exciting than, than any other fight in the past. So, yeah, man, it's a tough one to pick between Tuck and Brown. Obviously, you know, you do like the plus money on Damian Brown, but look, man, John Tuck's been putting in work with King's MMA, with Benny, with Master Hoffa, with Fabricio Werdum, but we know at King's MMA, for some guys, they thrive in that environment. You look at a guy like Benil Dariush, looking better than ever. The knockout win over James Vick, the 30-27 over Rashid Magomedov. Benny is really turning a corner. You look at a guy like Kelvin Gastelum. I know he can't get his weight under control, but the guy's been looking better than ever. But then there's other guys that they can't hang in that kind of environment. I'm not really sure where John Tuck falls, but one thing I do know is Benil Dariush has been his primary, his main training partner for this fight, and he's going to corner him as well. So working with a guy like Benny can only sharpen your skills. So, you know, I understand why John Tuck is the favorite here. But I'm going to root for Damian Brown, so may the best man win. Now, next up, we got Chris Camozzi. He's actually a minus 265 favorite, and Daniel Kelly is plus 225. Now, firstly, this is a good fight, but the line is is quite off in my opinion. I do believe Kamozi should be the favorite. Look, he's the younger, fresher guy, I get it. You know, he, he should be the favorite, but minus 265 is a little bit of disrespect to a guy like Daniel Kelly, who, you know, not only is he a four-time Olympian, but the guy's four and one in, in the UFC. He consistently comes through as the underdog. And I mean, not only is he beating, uh, you know, he's not just beating bums. His last fight, he, he knocked out Antonio Carlos Jr., you know, the 24-year-old Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion. So Dan Kelly's no slouch. I mean, the guy is a competitor at the core. He comes to compete every damn time he steps in there. With Chris Camozzi, man, it's, it's hard for me to get a read on him. I'll explain what I mean. I, I really thought that the dude was turning a corner. I mean, you guys recall... You know, the fight with Joe Riggs. I know Joe Riggs is completely done, but look, most of the guys go to decision with him. So to finish him in 20 seconds, I mean, that was pretty damn impressive. And then his next fight against uh, Vitor Miranda, man, 
Chris was the underdog in that spot, and you know he really put it on Vitor. Vitor was a guy that really looked like he was coming into his own, and uh, Chris stopped that momentum. But then going into that latest fight, I really thought, look, man, maybe Chris has really turned that corner. Maybe he's a new guy, and the old problems were exposed once again. So, yeah, I feel like we've seen the cap with Kamozi. And look, I really like the guy. He's really cool. So I wish him all the best. But you know who else is cool? Dan Kelly. I mean, this guy is such a badass. You know, 40 years old going in there with a 4-1 UFC record and just defying the odds every single time. And now he's fighting in Australia again. Honestly, I feel like from a betting perspective, why not take the plus 225? Look, I mean, the guy, long term, it pays to bet on Dan Kelly. Let's just leave it at that. So my pick is Dan Kelly to get it done. Now, next up, we got Omari Ahmedov versus Kyle Noak. And I'm actually going to call up my buddy uh, Kyle Rockstarzy for this fight because uh, I hear he's got an opinion on this one. Let's see what he's got to say. Kyle, what's up, man? It's Daniel Levy. How you doing, Dan? Doing excellent, man. Yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. Awesome, man. Well, I heard you had a strong opinion on Kyle Noak versus Omari Ahmedov. So let's talk about that fight, man, because look, Omari Ahmedov, he's a minus 170 favorite. The comeback on Kyle Noak is plus 150. And Kyle, I have a rule, and that rule is friends don't let friends bet on Kyle Noak. It's been very profitable to bet against Kyle Noak. However, the times that I do bet against him, his opponent's usually the underdog. In this situation, Kyle's the underdog, and he's fighting in Australia. If you remember that fight against Jonathan Webb, a lot of us felt like Webb should have got the decision. But, you know, a little uh, hometown judging and Kyle cashed in that spot. Now he's taking on Omari Akhmedov. We know the deal with the Russians. However, with Omari Akhmedov, you know, he seems to gas out in the third round every single fight. And his last two opponents have been able to make him pay as they, you know, TKO'd him in that third round. I'm talking about guys like Elizu Zaleski and uh, Serginho Marais. Now, the question here is, can Kyle Noak do that? I mean, we all recall his big knockout against Peter Sabata when he uh, kicked him in the stomach and folded him. Kyle, you thinking something similar is going to happen here? Um, I just really like the line that I saw. I had a bit of an outlier at plus 165. So what I did was I hit that for two units, um, expecting the line to drop. And then hopefully if Omari uh, gets as low as minus 130, I can go 1.3 on Omari to, uh, to give me basically a one-unit bet on Kyle Noak at plus 200. So that's the angle I'm, I'm trying to get. Uh, but if I'm stuck with the two units at plus 165 to win 3.3, I'm cool with that too. Just because I feel like Noak is just a veteran fighter. Um, he can fight long. He can win, the like uh, you alluded to, he can win the close decision, especially in Australia. And with Omari Akhmedov, there's, there's just a lot of red flags for me with this guy. Um, a lot of these Russians have like uh, a good reputation, but I don't really think he holds up to a lot of them. Uh, like you said, he's been knocked out twice on his last two fights, and those were both within uh, a year. So whenever a fighter gets knocked out recently, I don't like to see that. And although his last fight was six months ago, I, I just don't like that trend. Another thing is stylistically, what Omari likes to do is kind of just like he's built like a tank, he just kind of comes in and throws winging hooks. And when you get a guy like Kyle Noak who can fight long, who kicks to the body, who uses long straight punches and is going to be the bigger guy, I love that dynamic, especially in Australia, because even if it's close, I think I'm getting the, uh, getting the nod here. So it's really not a two-unit bet. It's, I'm trying to set up a one-unit bet to win two. Um, but, yeah, I, just, I, I like it for a lot of reasons. Interesting, man, and uh, best of luck on that one. You know, Kyle Noak, on a separate note, you know, take the, put, put the fighting aside, 
super cool guy. I mean, you know that he's the former bodyguard of uh, the crocodile hunter, Steve Irwin, man. Yeah, it's pretty badass, eh? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, one day I'm going to hire Kyle Noak to be my bodyguard. So, dude, I, I hope he cashes for you, man. And, Kyle, you uh, you betting anything else on this card? Uh, yeah, so far I took a one-unit poke on Marlon Vera when he was plus 130. Uh, I'm just looking at it now. Uh, where is he at? Um, plus yeah, he's at plus, yeah, plus 110, plus 120. Uh, that one, I just really feel like, again, I'm getting kind of a longer fighter who's facing an inactive uh, guy who throws primarily hooks and, and tries to set up big power shots. So I always like taking that um, because I figure if it goes to decision, uh, uh, you know, I'll take plus money on a coin flip decision any day. And stylistically, I think Marlon Vera has what it takes to win that decision. Also, I see some people saying that Ning is going to grind him out. And I don't really think that's going to happen because Marlon Vera has a very dangerous guard. And Ning, like, he, I guess he's strong and he can wrestle. But primarily what he does is hang back and look to set up big power shots. Uh, he's a Tiger Muay Thai trained striker. And usually I like those guys a lot. But with Ning, I just don't see the volume and I don't see the diversity from him. Plus, he's the older guy, so I'm expecting Marlon Vera to come in, uh, perhaps have made some improvements. And uh, at plus 130, I thought the price was right. Now, Kyle, we'll talk about the intangibles that Marlon Chito Vera brings to the table in just a second. But you actually let me know earlier today that Ning Guang Yu has actually retired before in his career? Yeah, I'm, I'm 90% sure it was him. Uh, watching those tough China fights, uh, it's been a while, but... Uh, he's an older guy, and I'm pretty sure he came out of retirement uh, just to even be on the Ultimate Fighter China. So, uh, you know, that's that's another interesting dynamic where you get a guy who's in his second wave versus a young kid who's coming up who had, uh, as you know, a very you know frustrating fight his last time out. So I just expect Marlon Vera to come in with some fire, and uh, yeah, I think he's just the longer striker and he's going to get it done. Dude, I can't even watch his last fight because as soon as he dives for that heel hook and, you know, Mark Goddard stops him and then restarts him, I was just like, oh my God. And then you see Davey Grant's grabbing the fence. I'm like, what is going on here? And, you know, it looked like a deep heel hook to me, man. And they try to reset the position. You don't reset a position like that. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And I think there's a fine line between a ref being like stern and uh, controlling the octagon and then a ref kind of getting annoyed at a fighter for talking back. And, and it, the, you know, we're all human, right? Like, uh, you know, his personality comes out or he made it personal, but uh, there's just no room for that in the octagon, in my opinion. And I, I thought, although Goddard, for the most part, is a good ref, he, he kind of was a little bit too harsh on, uh, on Marlon in that fight. Not only, um, I think he did take a point, right? Oh, yeah, he did. And, I mean, dude, he just overexerted yeah. himself in a way that exactly. he shouldn't have. He made himself part of the fight you know there's a saying that the best referees are the ones you don't notice and what that means Herb is that Dean. yeah exactly you know you can watch the fight take place but in this one we were paying more attention to the ref than we were the actual fight and it should never be like that and then you know he goes on a, a two paragraph uh facebook rant the next day i was like oh my god like what is this guy doing but uh Hopefully he's not refing this fight. You know, it's not in the UK. It's uh, in in Australia. He's not fighting an Australian. So I expect all that aspect of the game to be fair. And uh, we're going to have to see who the better man is. So, Kyle, man, thanks for checking in, buddy. Anything else you're playing on the card? Uh, yeah, I'm glad you, uh, you asked that last one because one thing I really uh, am keeping my eye on is the fight of the night prop for Dan Hooker versus Jason Knight. Um, the reason being is... I'm looking down this card and I see a, a lot of finish potential 
and a lot of inactive fighters. And then you get all of a sudden you get Dan Hooker versus Jason Knight, two guys who are roughly the same age, around the same level, in my opinion, uh, who will throw a lot of volume and who are both very difficult to get out of there. So that, to me, is the perfect recipe on a card like this um, to hit that fight of the night prop if your bookie offers it. There you have it, folks. Uh, thanks again, Kyle. All right, no problem, Dan. That's my buddy Kyle Rockstarzy. Thank you, Kyle. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Jake Matthews. He's minus 360. The comeback on Andrew Holbrook is plus 300. Now, we all know that Jake Matthews is one of the most promising prospects in the UFC lightweight division. You know, I know he's had a couple setbacks. The fight with James Vick, you know, James uh, flying kneed him and then choked him out with that beautiful guillotine. But I got to tell you what, man, the kid was, what, 19 or 20 years old when that happened? Everyone has to take that first UFC loss. We always talk about it every single episode of the show, and that was just uh, Jake's time to take his. You know, he rebounded since that fight. Obviously, the fight with Akbar Ariola showed a ton of heart, overcoming that head kick and then coming back to pound him out. And then the next fight with Johnny Case, that was the best performance of Jake Matthews' career, in my opinion. I mean, he showed a lot of maturity in that fight. Now, the next one with Kevin Lee, you know, <laughs> it obviously didn't go his way at all, but, you know, I'm going to make an excuse for him. What I'm going to say is that, look, the kid is still super young. We can't forget that. And I feel like he underestimated the flight from Australia over to the States. You know, when Robert Whitaker fought Rafael Natal in Vegas, you know, Robert Whitaker came over three weeks in advance to acclimate to, you know, the time difference. Because, look, it's literally a day ahead in Australia. You know what I'm saying? So you have to go in advance to acclimate. You don't get around it. Robert Whitaker did that. Jake Matthews came in like a couple days before the fight. You know, he totally underestimated it. And uh, he paid for it big time. You know, he looked lethargic out there. I don't think that's the Jake Matthews we're going to see in this fight, you know, in Australia this time. And uh, Andrew Holbrook, look, he's a Chris Lytle protege in his UFC debut against Ramsey Nijem. I know a lot of people thought Nijem won, but I got to tell you what, Holbrook is a very gritty guy. I know he's a bit chinny. He did get rocked more than once in that fight. But look, man, he's got a slick jujitsu game, and he comes to fight. He'll stay in your in your face the entire fight. And as, and as long as he's conscious, he is going to try to win. He's not going to run away. He's going to be in your face. So Jake Matthews is in for a fight, and you know he can't get uh, surprised by you know this guy's pressure. He's got to be there the entire time. But the thing is with Matthews is there's such a big difference in athleticism. And if you watch that Jake Matthews versus Johnny Case fight. You remember that big right hand that Jake Matthews was getting off on? I feel like if he throws that thing here, he can knock out Holbrook. Because look, Holbrook's fight against uh, Joachim Silva, we saw that. Man, it wasn't a coincidence that he was getting rocked a lot against Ramsey Nijem. He really is a bit chinny. And that's why he got knocked out cold in uh, 30 seconds in his last fight. This could be Jake Matthews' first legitimate knockout stoppage in the UFC. He's just got to rise to the occasion and uh, show up. And, uh, you know, he's a minus 360 favorite for a reason. I'm not counting out Holbrook. Look, he trains with good guys. He spent this camp at Tiger Muay Thai. Much respect, but I got to go with Jake Matthews for the victory here. Inside the distance. Now, next up, the main event of the evening. We got Derek Brunson. He's a minus 140 favorite. The comeback on Robert the Reaper Whitaker is plus 120 and oh my god isn't this such a great fight like you know for a fact that these two are going to leave no doubt when they get in there because the stakes and the implications for the winner uh, it's just you can't measure it because look the 185 pound division is looking better than it's ever looked obviously Bisming is going to fight Yoel Romero for the title you got Luke Rockhold, Weidman, Jacare, all these killers at 185 pounds, and here you got Derek Brunson and Robert Whitaker, who, you know, they're, they're the ones that 
they've never tasted the gold before. They're hungry. They're motivated. With Robert Whitaker, man, I got to tell you what, man, this dude has come a long way. The way he sets up his hooks, I mean, you watch that fight against Brad Tavares, the rear leg front kick to the left hook. I mean, it was just on point. He knows how to find your chin. He's pinpoint. He moves his head. And, you know, the one thing that worries me about a guy like Whitaker is the same thing that worries me about someone such as Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. You know, they got that karate style, so they fight with their hands down. And you can't get away with that every single time. But the reason he's able to do that is because he knows his distance, he knows his range, and he's really an expert striker out there. He's so light on his feet. He knows how to cut those angles. If he's got to throw a leg kick, he's going to throw the leg kick. You know, he'll slightly dip his head and go up high. And, man... The way he throws those hooks, like I just said, dude, they come out of nowhere and he hits hard, man. You know, with Derek Brunson, his last four fights have been absolutely flawless. I gotta give him all the credit in the world because he's, you know, that fight with Sam Alvey, he turned up on Sam Alvey. What he'll do is, you know, he'll start off, he'll push you up against the fence, you'll pummel for double underhooks, and as he's uh, starting to disengage, that's when he comes out at you with this blitz out of nowhere, and man, no one has been able to stop that blitz lately, and uh, man, it's not just, uh, you know, three punches, it's like 20 punches, you know what I'm saying? And uh, he goes until he gets you out of there. But here's the thing, guys. In the middle of that blitz, he does a couple things fundamentally wrong. He hasn't been uh, penalized for it because he's so damn athletic and powerful and fast that the guys he's been competing with just cannot capitalize on. But what he does wrong, you know, and when I'm saying what he does wrong, you know, it's with all due respect. I completely understand that he would knock me out cold with the first punch he would throw. I get it. But, you know, we're betting on these fights. So that's where my criticism is coming from. So just understand that. But what I'm trying to say here, guys, is that the fundamental flaws he has when he goes for that blitz is, you know, we're going to talk about the chin in a second, but he squares up his stance, man. And what I mean by the square stance is, you know, his uh, his feet are literally parallel from each other. He's standing in the same place. It's not like one's in front of the other. They're literally parallel. And then on top of that, he doesn't just lift his chin up a little bit. His chin is sky high. But the reason that no one's been able to capitalize is, like I mentioned, he blinds them with his speed. And by the time they know that, you know, he's coming after them, they're already rocked and the fight's almost over. So he's been able to capitalize on great situations. You know who's going to be able to counter in a spot like that? I think Whitaker's expert striking can get him a counter knockout if Derek attempts to go for the blitz here. But we got to talk about the wrestling. You recall that fight between Derek Brunson and Lorenz Larkin. Now, dude, Lorenz Larkin was getting off on the striking in that fight. That's what a good striker looks like against Derek Brunson. But Lorenz wasn't strong enough to stuff the takedowns. Hence, you know, why Lorenz dropped to 170. He's more of a welterweight. With Whitaker, I mean, this guy was killing himself to make 170. He's a middleweight. And dude, look, I know he's never fought a wrestler of the caliber of Derek Brunson, but you know what? I'm not gonna judge or, you know, predict his takedown defense based on that. What I'm gonna say is the times that he has tough takedowns, he showed very good technique. And that goes a long way. You know, you watch a guy like Conor McGregor and he's, you know, teeing off on Marcus Brimage. Well, just because he teed off on Marcus Brimage, that doesn't mean that he's going to be able to, you know, knock out a guy like Jose Aldo, right? Well, it's not the fact that he teed off on Marcus Brimage. It's the technique that he displayed while teeing off on Marcus Brimage that led me to believe, yeah, he can beat these better caliber fighters. And that's the same thing with Robert Whitaker here, man. I feel like his technique is on another level than Derek Brunson. And, you know, Derek's been the faster guy, the more athletic guy than all these people he's been fighting. But I don't think he's going to be faster than Robert Whitaker. I think Whitaker's got the speed advantage in this fight. So 
look, man, if we if Brunson can go out there and starch Whitaker like he's been doing to all these other guys, hey, I'll tip my cap. Much respect. Because one doesn't simply do that to Robert Whitaker. You know, you watch his fight with Wonder Boy, and you know, people just remember the knockout, but what they don't remember is that Whitaker was the only guy to literally try to get into a striking match with Wonder Boy up until that point. You know, everyone else, you know, they, they had no clue how to strike with him. They were all running away from him. I know my boy Matt Brown got him to the ground, but Whitaker, you know, he was establishing his jab. He was out jabbing Wonder Boy, and he got caught with a nice counter. But man, Whitaker held his own, and ever since he moved up to 185, he looks like a completely different man. These two are in their prime right now. I know they're... Actually, I take that back. Derek Brunson is in his prime right now. I don't think Robert Whitaker has even hit his prime yet. The kid's only, what, 25, 26 years old? He's just a kid, but he's wise beyond his years, man. And I think he's going to get Derek Brunson out of there. So I took two. I took the two-unit shot on Robert Whitaker at plus 125. Look, may the best man win. And, you know, I hit up my boy uh, Biggie Rhodes because he fought Robert Whitaker. He went three rounds with him. I want to hear what he has to say. So uh, let's hit up Biggie Rhodes real quick. Robert Whitaker's taking on Derek Brunson. How you see that one going down? Honestly, that's a tough one, man, because ever since me and Robert fought, you know, I've had such a respect for him. And, like, um, you know, we follow each other's careers. We're always chatting back and forth. And uh, he's, he's turned to an absolute world beater, you know, um, after we fought. Um, and Derek Brunson is somebody that I connected with through the Twitter universe. And, you know, he's a good dude, great guy. Uh, great personality on Twitter and things of that nature. And he's an awesome fighter um, who just, you know, they both have victories over, um, they both have victories over Uriah Hall um, in two different kind of ways. You know, Robert dominated him and then, uh, you know, Brunson got him out of there fairly quickly. Um, I think we're in for an awesome fight. I, I can't really pick a winner in this fight. It just depends on whether or not Robert will be able to stop the wrestling and also the power that Derek Brunson uh, possesses. And then if Derek can get, you know, if Robert can stuff the takedowns and, and land his shot. But I think it's a great matchup at 185 pounds. Um, I'm just going to stay away from picking a winner on that one. And that's my boy, Mike Biggie Rhodes. Thanks, Biggie. And yeah, I'm going with Robert Whitaker here. I think there's going to be a big speed difference and a big technique difference. You know, it's not always about the technique. Sometimes the more athletic guy wins, and Derek Brunson is the more athletic guy. But I think in a spot like this, technique really will prevail. And uh, whether Whitaker gets him out of there or whether it goes, you know, the full five-round distance, I got Robert the Reaper Whitaker in this spot. And like I said, I took, I put two units on it. So best of luck to me, right? <laughs> but uh Let's talk about some of these early prelims. So, man, <laughs> we got Janelle Lauza. He's minus 135, and the comeback on Yao Zikui is plus 115. Man, I'll keep it short. Look, one guy is 6-2. and two. Janelle Lauza is 6-2. Yao Zikui is 2-4. So when you see those records, you're like, well, I'm going to take the 6-2 and two guy all day. But then you look into it, and my God, you know, I, I think for the Filipino scene, he's probably talented. But, you know, when you talk about flat-footed Muay Thai, because a lot of people like to disrespect Muay Thai, and you shouldn't be disrespecting Muay Thai. But when you do, you talk about guys like Janelle Lauza, because, I mean, dude, his guard is completely open on the feet. He's got no takedown defense. He is a bit athletic, though. He's more athletic than Yao Zikui. But Zikui's got the UFC experience. You know, he's been the decision a couple times. In his last fight, though, he got slammed, and he broke his arm right away. So... 
Man, this one's tough to call. I got to go with Janelle Lauza, but I mean, you know, do yourself a favor. Do not bet this fight. Now, next up, we got Siohi Hamp. She's minus 115. The comeback on Danielle Taylor is minus 105. And uh, these two are going to scrap it out. You know, Siohi Hamp, she's a, she's a little wild brawler out there, man. She's exciting. And Danielle Taylor, you know, she's super short for the weight class. And she's kind of inactive, you know, she kind of only throws one shot at a time. You know, she does have a big bomb, you know, she throws one big shot at a time. But here's the thing, man, a lot of people say in her last fight against Moroz that, you know, she actually looked pretty good. I disagree. I thought they both looked pretty bad in that fight. You know, they were both completely inactive. And uh, it's about, can Danielle Taylor connect with a big shot here? Because if she doesn't, she's gonna get picked apart and lose the decision. So I'm gonna go with C.O. Heham via unanimous decision. Next up, we got Khalil Roundtree's minus 145. The comeback on Tyson Pedro is plus 125. Now, Khalil Roundtree trains with Anderson Silva. Very dynamic striking, but the biggest issue is getting back up from the bottom. You know, his takedown defense isn't that bad until he gets gassed. But, man, he cannot get up off the bottom. Tyson Pedro is an Australian grappler. So, you know, can he take down a guy like Khalil Roundtree? We're, we're going to find out, man. Uh, please do not bet this fight unless you know something I don't know. I mean, I'm going to go with Khalil Roundtree by knockout, but... Uh, you know, just stay away from this one. Now, next up, we got Alex Volkanovsky's minus 165. The comeback on Yasuki Kasuya is plus 145. Now, Volkanovsky is a very hyped Australian prospect. He's 10 and 1. You know, he's a short, stocky, very strong guy. He knows how to win the fights on the feet and on the ground. He's finished, guys. He's won by decision. He's very experienced. But Yasuki Kasuya is also experienced, but he is coming off a bit of a layoff. You know, he likes to take guys to the ground and choke them out. But I'll tell you what, he fought pretty uh, competitively against Nick Hine. A lot of people thought he might have won that Nick Hine fight. And uh, in this spot, you know, we're going to have to see what Alex Volkanovsky is all about. I see a lot of people confident and betting on him, you know, and maybe they're right. Maybe he's going to go out there and get the victory. But for me, look, it's that UFC debut. Let's see what the hype's all about, man, because I never heard of this kid up until this point. So, you know, let's see if he's the real deal. So we'll go with Alex Volkanovsky because I feel like this is one of those matchups where they're bringing in Kasuya to, to lose, you know, try to get Alex that nice first UFC victory. So let's see what he's all about. Now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So the fight to watch, I mean, look, it's obviously the main event. The winner of this fight, they're going to propel themselves to maybe one fight away from a UFC title shot in the middleweight division. And they're both representing the future of that division. Even though Derek Brunson is in his 30s and, you know, Robert's in his mid-20s, I still feel like they're both evolving and just becoming the best versions of themselves that we've ever seen. And the style matchup, the contrast in their styles is just awesome. We got the wrestler versus striker, but don't underestimate that wrestler because he's coming off four straight knockouts. I mean, first round knockouts. Firstly, I forgot to mention this in my breakdown of the fight that Robert Whitaker, excuse me, that Derek Brunson has 12 first round finishes and Robert Whitaker has 10 first round finishes. That's what we're dealing with in this main event. It's going to be absolute fireworks. That's your fight to watch. Fighter to watch, I'm going to go with Jake Matthews. Look, I know he's a minus 360 favorite, but look, he's got the co-main event slot in Australia. He's coming off a devastating first round loss to Kevin Lee, where he was the favorite in that spot. I want to see how he rebounds because all the pressure's on him in this spot. You know, Holbrook's expected to lose. So I want to see how Matthews performs in this high-pressure situation. So for that reason, he is your fighter to watch. Now, I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to check out Half the Battle. It's been awesome breaking down the fights, and I cannot wait to watch them. Happy Thanksgiving to you all in the United States of America. We'll be back next week with Sean Carey to break down the next card. And as always, you know, interviewing the fighters just 
asking them the questions no one else asks. And I really appreciate the support. You know, keep up the retweets. You know, I was funny. I was getting some shit because uh, I was retweeting uh, the podcast. Look, it's all good. It's all love here, man. You got to get the word out there, man. I mean, look, this is this is for the hardcore fans, and uh, it, it's awesome to be a part of this community. So, you know, follow me on Twitter at BestFightPix. Go to BestFightPix.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. And until the next time, let's cash these bets. Yeah.